This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you so much for joining us once again. And it is an absolute pleasure to have Elizabeth Sabadich-Wolf return to us once again. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. It's it's great to be back. Great to be back. And Elizabeth and I had uh, good fun where we met for the few. You, you think you actually know people, but actually you've never met them. And it was good to catch up with Elizabeth over there on the West Coast uh, of the US at the uh, uh, American Freedom Alliance Conference. Um, actually, maybe before we jump in, do you want to just mention that? Because you've been at AFA conferences a lot. Uh, you spoke very eloquently there. Uh, the conference topic was propaganda. Um, maybe just mention that and then we will jump into the topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, it really was great fun to to finally meet you in person. And it's, it's like I always... Uh, say, um, you know, one of the really disastrous uh, things that came out of this so-called pandemic was uh, the lack of personal interaction. Yeah. And I always said on, on all these Zoom meetings that I, that I had over the course of the, you know, what is it, almost two years of being separated from uh, life outside, is I'm really, what I really miss most is I want to hug people, I want to smell people, I want to touch people, and I want to speak to them and look them in the eyes. Mm. And uh, it just doesn't, Zoom is, is, is okay, but nothing beats sitting down, uh, talking to each other, uh, having a, you know, a drink, a good glass of beer, and, and talking. And you know, that, that's, that's what really made uh, the conference so special and, you know, getting to know you, even though we know each other, but we don't really know each other. Uh, and, and it just, um, it, I guess it changes a relationship, uh, yeah. maybe, maybe only subtly, but it does. Absolutely. And Elizabeth is one of the, the main speakers there. And it was uh, wonderful <laughs> yeah. to sit and listen to yeah. you and sit with you over the lunch tables, dinner tables. But for yeah. our audience, uh, just the last time you were on, which was forever ago, you talked about your book, Author of the Truth is No Defense, which goes through your trials through the legal system in Europe when you wanted to speak the truth on Islam, which wasn't allowed. And that was a process of many years. You've been dragged through the courts. You're now out on the other side um, and you're continuing to speak truth. So what they tried to just do to keep you quiet hasn't worked. Sorry, Sorry Peter, just not in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've stopped uh, speaking out in Europe because I consider my job done. Yeah, uh, there may be people who disagree with uh, with that opinion, but uh, my job here is is done. I've done everything there is to do, and my focus is now, of course, uh, the United States, where uh, there is still a fighting chance. There is still a constitution in place, and uh, we need to fight for this constitution. We may not be American citizens, but uh, we all know that the United States and and its constitution is a a beacon of light. I mean, the yep. Constitution is without a doubt the greatest political document ever written. 
And uh, as such, we need to defend it because if America goes down, we all go down. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Today, we're going to talk about something that I know little about. So I'm looking forward to actually learning as we chat, Elizabeth. And we've chatted about this uh, over the last week or so. And it is an organization called the OSCE, known as the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, uh, the world's largest regional security oriented intergovernmental organization. That's the terms that are used for we, we would already puke when we hear that. But there's something, there really is something special about this OSCE, and that's what I wanted to to educate you and uh, our viewers on, because it's it's not just like any other international multilateral organization. Um, and it's been around for 50 years, so really we yes, should know absolutely. about it, but we yes. don't. So but what about you? When, I guess, the, there always is a point whenever you're aware of an issue, an organization, an individual, something happens. Um, kind of, was there something that you had read that made you think, what actually is this organization? You started no. to delve deeper. No, even better, even better. Um Back in the early 1990s, when I was fresh out of, uh, you know, graduating high school and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do, even though I knew I was a political animal and a history buff uh, and uh, current events uh, buff, I worked at different uh, conferences. Uh, You may not know, you probably don't know, uh, that I worked at uh, the huge... United Nations Conference on Human Rights in Vienna, which was held in Vienna in 1993. Uh, I was there uh, for conference services. I worked in the background organizing uh, papers and, um, uh, you know, I did whatever was needed in the background. I was 19 or 20 years old. No, I was 22 at the time. And uh, I really enjoyed it back then. And of course, I had no idea about the impact of, of, you know, human rights and what it even meant. But I was I was actually fascinated. I was hooked on it. Um, I was also, and this was also always a two to three month, uh, you know, gig, and and you had a, a limited contract, and once it was over, it was over. Hmm. So once this uh, this UN uh, gig was over, uh, I then focused on uh, a, conf- a a an organization called the CSCE which was at the time called the Conference on Security and Cooperation in Europe, because the CSCE did did not turn into an organization until, what was it, 1995, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, But we need to, we actually need to back up. But uh, I worked in conference services at that, at one of the the sub-conferences called the Open Skies Agreement. It was a military agreement, and this conference lasted for, I, I would say, about a month. Okay. And it was called the Open Skies Agreement because uh, back then, you, you know, the, the the Berlin Wall had just fallen, and, and you know, there was a lot of uh, changes going on between East and West. And here, the Open Skies Agreement uh, made it possible for military overflights, even in the in the former Warsaw Pact area, so this was haggled out in Vienna during this uh, Open Skies um, 
uh, conference, and I was there to help out the Secretary General. I sat next to him during the plenary meeting. Uh, if he needed something, if he needed papers or information, you know, this was the 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 pre. Uh, cell phone, uh, internet, uh, worldwide web kind of time. So, you know, you needed to get up and, and actually go search for the information that was needed. So, excuse me. So this was, this was very exciting, uh, for me. Mm. And, uh, as, as a result, of course, I became interested in this thing called the CSCE. So fast forward to 2002, when I returned to university and, uh, had to write my first, uh, university paper. And uh, this is the time where I really delved into CSCE slash OSCE. And that's when I did the historical analysis, uh, fascinating organization. And uh, in 2009, then, uh, I found out uh, that it is possible for uh, NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations, to attend uh, conferences within the uh, OSCE. But I think first we need to back up uh, and I need to give you some historical background on what the CSCE slash OSCE is. Now, uh, the CSCE is a child of the East-West conflict, of the Cold War at its very height of, of almost exploding, almost becoming a hot war and not a Cold War anymore. And uh, you have to imagine this was this was a time when uh, the USSR and uh, the West did not speak at all. There was there was actually no discussion, no contact between the two blocks. And uh, there was also the tragedy of Jews, Soviet Jews, not being able to leave the country. Mm to to uh to go to Israel or what have you Jews of course were pro uh, persecuted and uh this this was the situation so uh this the 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 Helsinki accords uh they were in, they were in, in Helsinki in the late uh, 1960s they took place there and this was the first time where the, where there was a sort of detente where uh the the East and West finally sat down uh, to discuss matters of mutual concern. And out of the Helsinki Accords came this conference on security and cooperation in Europe, where the Soviet Union for the first time actually sat down with the West. And at, at, in the beginning, it was a discussion, uh, a very slow discussion uh, of how to to be able to talk to each other again and and build uh, trust and in this in this uh, CSCE setting um, the issue of the Jews came up again and mm. this was a huge breakthrough there was it was probably the first breakthrough of the CSCE. Um, that the Jews were able to, first of all, make phone calls to uh, the West, to the family, to relatives in the West, and then finally be able to leave the Soviet Union. Wow. So this this was a, 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 an excru I mean, excruciating for the Jews in the Soviet Union, but a victory of the West to finally enable. Uh, the Soviet Union and the West to sit down and have these conversations. And we all know that conversations are hugely important 
uh, and this is something that we we sorely lack today with uh, the war in the Ukraine. Mm. Uh, in Ukraine, uh, nobody is talking to anybody. It's 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 no one is really. There's no diplomacy going on. The CSCE actually enabled diplomacy to start for the very first time. And so it continued over the years uh, during the 1970s and 80s. And, um, you know, I'm trying to, to, I'm not going to go in every single detail, but um, work at the CSCE was uh, divided into so-called baskets. And you had the basket of human rights, you had the basket of political, uh, uh, the political realm of the OSCE, uh, the CSCE region, and you had the military region, the military uh, realm, and so th these the the conference met regularly. It was it is headquartered in Vienna, and uh, it was extremely. Uh, important, and I would even argue that the CSCE was instrumental in bringing down uh, the uh, the Berlin Wall and ending, mm. effectively ending the East-West separation, the wall between you know the separation of uh, you know good and good and evil, however you want to call it. But then it was it was finished. Okay, this they. The CSCE, because they sat down and spoke to each other, the East and the West, uh, they were instrumental. I'm not saying that the CSCE is the only one, but it, together with Pope John Paul II uh, and Ronald Reagan, certainly the CSCE uh, was extremely instrumental in uh, overcoming the divide that so plagued Europe. Mm. Uh, till uh, the early 1990s. So, um, and let me tell you, uh, it was it was a force for good. The CSCE, the Conference on Security and Cooperation was a force for good. Mm. Now, who was and is part of this conference now organization? It, it spans from Vancouver to Vladivostok. This is this is what the 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 OSCE prides itself on. It's a regional conference. It's the largest regional conference, uh, but it is uh, it comprises almost every single country in the nor northern hemisphere. Mm. And what is important for everyone to realize, while it is not in the spotlight all the time. You probably have heard about it many times. You probably just didn't listen properly because it, it doesn't seem important. But you have OSCE peace missions uh, to the Balkan, to Kosovo, uh, to Bosnia, to um, you. There was a presence in Ukraine. Um, it is an it, it is a peacekeeping mission. So it mm. is probably more important on a regional level than the UN. And remember also that the CSCE, that the United States and Canada and the United Kingdom uh, are founding participating states. You don't call it member states, they're participating okay. states. This is OSCE lingo. And as such, you need to this this is you need to know what this is all about okay 
Another reason why this is so important is um, the OSCE, the CSCE, is the only uh, international organization that allows participation of non-governmental organizations in its human rights realm. Of course, we're not allowed to speak or uh, take part in conferences in the political, economic, uh, military realm, which doesn't matter. But what's important here is we are allowed to sit at the same table with the diplomats and we're allowed to speak out. And that is something that no other organization on this planet allows. And this, as such, makes it a fascinating uh, organization, a worthwhile organization, uh, especially for, for civil rights defenders, for human rights defenders, for OSCE, for um, uh, NGOs. I'm not saying that everything is great there. We can get into that later on. But the opportunity is incredible. Another uh interesting factor in the OSCE, CSE, OSCE is that you have to, in, in, in plenary sessions, there's al there always needs to be full agreement on everything. Wow. One country says, oops, that's not for me. Then the whole deal is, is off the table. Remember that when I tell you uh, later on what I experienced at the OSCE and why I'm still allowed to speak, why I am still allowed uh, to to speak out at the OSCE because this is what actually saved me and uh, our fellow uh, human rights defenders. How does it it's how does it fit into the UN? Obviously, as the the major intergovernmental body that everyone hears about, mm -hmm. that addresses many issues and tells us all what is right and wrong and what we must think. And um, kind of where does the OSCE fit into that? Are they connecting organizations that work closely together? Have they got separate remits? Uh, it's it's interesting that the UN uh, has observer status. Okay. Not the UN itself, but but uh, I think the ECOSOC, I think, has observer status, but they're not really uh, not really working together, at least not officially. Okay. Um, it's it's I would say it's just another regional organization, and then again, it isn't hmm. because, like I said, you know, it 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 spans the entire northern hemisphere, so it's it, it's the second largest international organization and everything uh, bad that comes out of the, the uh, OSCE today is trick trickles down into our countries. Mm. And that's, that's the big, that's the big problem. You know, we already at, at uh, when, when we human rights defenders, when we uh, uh, transatlantic friendship group uh, members, attend these meetings, we already, we can already see, foresee, we can actually look into the future. Yeah. Uh, everything from non-discrimination to tolerance to um, uh, hate speech laws, all of everything that plagues us today, I already saw many years before we actually knew it was, it was there. So when I go there in two weeks, I will have a glimpse into the in in, a, in in the future. I will have a glimpse into the future. I'm wondering. Uh, maybe we'll get into this now. 
your freedom to be there. I see, obviously, it's Northern Hemisphere, so it's North America, it's Europe, it's Russia. That means English, Spanish, Russian, Italian, German, Mm -hmm. French. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't have Chinese, there's no Mandarin on that. Obviously, you don't have Arabic on it either. That makes it quite a different organization than an organization where you have Islamic countries claiming Ah. certain rights. Is that where your freedom fits in? It should, but it doesn't really, because <laughs> even if we even if we technically don't have Arabic there, remember Turkey is a member state. Yeah, yeah. Remember the Stan countries are member yeah. states. You have Turk, uh, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan. Uh, you know all these these Stan countries. So they're and, all and, and Belgium and France. <laughs> and you got the NGOs from there. Yeah. So yeah. obviously. Uh, you know, while while we technically don't have a Muslim presence, of course we do, and that of course led to uh, many battles on uh, the, in the plenary, huge mm. battles, verbal battles, of course, but very very strong, strongly worded battles. But again, you know, I'm I'm kind of getting ahead of ahead of myself. Let me just quickly tell you, uh, in 1995, uh, the summit of Budapest. Uh, the CSCE was made into, it was transferred uh, into an organization. So it was no longer called a conference on security and cooperation in Europe, but uh, the organization of security and cooperation in Europe. And actually with that transfer, this, this uh, transfer from conference to organization is when the OSCE went downhill. Hmm. That is when, uh, when you know the uh, the establishment talk, uh, the tolerance, non-discrimination, everything that came out of the European Union uh, with the Treaty of Maastricht, uh, all of that also then became a part of the OSCE. Uh, it 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 became a completely different regional instrument. It was no yeah. longer this east-west divide. It was uh, a lot. Uh, it, it became this washed down, uh, you know, hate speech. Uh, we need to under- have tolerance and and understanding for everybody. Uh, whereas back in you know when the, during the East West conflict, we know who was good and who was bad. It was a very clear dividing line. Now it's oh well, he did something bad, and there was some some uh, you know like uh, um, Robert Spencer always likes to to call um, the. Uh, 9-11 attacks, somebody did something yeah. and a few people died. This is basically what it boiled down to. It was very washed out. It, it became very, um, uh, you didn't really know who was the good, who was the enemy and who, who was mm. your friend anymore. And that's when, if, if you lose your values, if you lose your sense of right and wrong, it doesn't have to be left or right, but it's the sense yeah. of right and wrong that's when the problems start and that's what what happened in in uh with the change to the organization status in 1995 okay tell us about your your involvement because as you describe it you would think it would fail to exist after the cold war finished because it it had lost its purpose and there are other intergovernmental organizations but obviously it was able to repurpose i guess after yes, that and it, see a role for it itself purpose, yes yeah mm-hmm. for the future um 
so how does how does that because it's uh, with it there no longer needs to be a bridge between east and west in effect um with the fall of the the iron curtain uh, but how did it move forward into that new era well uh, it, it the the OSCE was was quite helpful during uh the the Serbian war uh, where it sent observer observer missions uh, to to Serbia and was able to uh, to assist the UN uh, in in the ceasefire and uh, also very very they're very instrumental in um, I would say building of a civil society mm. in assisting in elections you always have uh, OSCE election observers. Um, I would say uh, the OSCE is also very helpful in teaching democracy, in teaching uh, civ civil life. You know, you have these war-torn countries, and then you have to rebuild them. Now, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm sounding very romantic here, and in a sense, uh, I would say uh, at, at the begin in the beginning of the o the OSCE. It was almost romantic, and they they did a good job in rebuilding society. And this is not something that the UN so much focuses on. This is mm. what the what the OSCE did quite well. Nowadays, however, it's completely different because a lot of what the OSCE does in these newly established uh, democracies is unfortunately brainwashing, and uh, that has changed uh, dramatically. And of course, not really uh, not really helpful. Uh, it's it's fomenting a, a lot of of, of hatred, um, wittingly or unwittingly, um, and and that of course uh, is not good for for these societies. Uh, OSCE representatives certainly would not like me saying it, but uh, like I said, you know, it's 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 lost its purpose and it's become a battlefield between uh, good and and bad. And I would like to argue, or I would argue that that you know we defenders of Western, Western civilization, of the rule of law, of the constitutional precepts, uh, the free speech, uh, freedom of assembly, um, we are not very welcome there anymore. Okay. We, okay. We, uh, it, it's it's been uh, the the OSCE and especially. It's sub or, or it, it, there's a. Uh, it's called Office for Oh dear, Office for Democratic Institutions and Human Rights. <laughs> yes, oh dear. <laughs> dear. <laughs> up, right, uh, which is based in Warsaw and yeah. uh, was headed by a staunch uh, Marxist from Iceland up until I think two years ago or two and a half years ago. And this woman uh, was was the enemy of our freedom-loving group. Now, uh, I'm, I'm again. I'm jumping back and forth. I would like to to tell you how did I get, how did I start working as a not in conference services, but on the other side as a troublemaker, as a defender of Western civilization. Uh, back in two thousand, yeah, because because again, you understood a little bit of the background of the organization, so you're a a perfect person to then go in and use what's there for good. Absolutely, that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, we're using what is available to us 
for the purpose of defending Western civilization, because we can't do it at any other uh, conference setting. And we, you and I would agree, I would, I would imagine that Western civilization is worth defending for, you know, it's all we have and it's a force for good and it, it, it needs to be defended. And that's what I, along with many others who have joined me uh, since 2009 have been doing. Um, not always uh, to the liking of the OSCE and oh dear, but uh, it doesn't matter. I, you know, I, I, I can look back and say, you know, whatever happens, I stood up and I defended Western civilization. Mm-hmm. I defended freedom of speech. I defended freedom in general and uh, not the washdown. Uh, we have to love each other and understand each other. Um, that's that's not what I defend. I, I defend the good forces in yep. the Western world. So tell us about your involvement then uh, now and how that happened. Well, like I said, I began in 2009 in July when I found out that there was this opportunity. Until then, I didn't know uh, because I kind of, you know, I had I had I had my daughter and I drifted away. Uh, but in back in 2009, I was back in the business. I had started warning fellow Austrians about the dangers of Islam to free Western societies. So it became only na- it was only natural that my friend Henrik from Denmark and I and two others uh, from Austria entered uh, the uh, the human dimension uh, realm of the OSCE and we started attending one of the so-called round tables. It's it's a supplementary human dimension meeting and there are three of those supplementary human dimension meetings uh, every year. And the main conference, which takes place, which takes place annually uh, at the end of September in Warsaw. So the supplementary meetings take place in Vienna, which is the headquarters of the OSCE. Uh, but the main conference takes place in Warsaw in uh, at the end of September. So we were there uh, in uh, July of 2009, and immediately Henrik and I realized the setting. Uh, that this could be to our advantage and that because there always has to be full agreement uh, among the um, the participating states, but also the civil society, if we raise an issue, then of course you don't have consensus and you know the bad, the whatever whatever paper is in front of you that 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 we deem is is unhelpful mm-hmm. is off the table because you don't you no longer have consensus, and we immediately went to work. Um, if if uh, if your viewers would like to read up on the history of of what the uh, West the defenders of Western civilization have done since two thousand nine, you should log on to uh, gatesofvienna.net which is where you find a history of, uh, you know, 2009 until 2019, until, uh, you know, shortly before the pandemic began. So we immediately saw that we could speak out freely and we could uh, stop bad things from being tabled. And uh, that was very heartening. Uh, that was uh, exciting. 
And so we continued to attend uh, these meetings regularly if the topic fit. Hmm. Of course, you know, uh, you, you sometimes have topics like uh, the plight of Roma and Sinti in Europe. While there may be, uh, you know, interest in that, it's, it's certainly not what, what piques my interest. Yeah. Uh, for me and for my fellow uh, members of the delegation, we always focused on uh, freedom of uh, expression, freedom of religion and belief, uh, freedom of what is it called uh, association and this is when we spoke out we spoke about the terrifying uh, the stabbings the killings of Christians we spoke out in, in for Christians for Jews uh, we raised uh, certain um, uh, cases of uh, Christians being you know losing their jobs uh, because you know, for, for, for different reasons. We spoke out in favor of freedom of speech that even though you may not like what I have to say, according to OSCE principles, I have the right to say them even if you don't like yeah. them. And yeah. the sad thing was that, you know, over the years, I would say 2013, 2014, uh, you know, the situation really deteriorated and the tolerance and non-discrimination uh, army uh, entered the scene and uh, it became harder and harder to speak out. We were oftentimes rebuked for saying what we did, uh, what we said. And uh, yeah, one thing that, that I can tell you is uh, in the early years, I don't remember when did Sam Solomon write his charter of understanding? It must've been 20, what was it? Eight or nine. Yeah. yeah. 2006. It might've been actually 2006 because okay, he launched well, in Strasbourg. Could have been 2006. Okay. Well, we were uh, the ones who uh, passed out copies of Sam's charter at the OSCE in Warsaw. Just saying, you know, I can imagine. <laughs> Raised in the plenary, and uh, the Muslim groups were very uh, unhappy. Uh, but of course, we we said, you know, is there anything wrong? Is can you can you prove that this is this is uh, untrue? What Sam wrote. Um, so you know, we 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 kind of raised the level of of discussion, and you could actually during the plenary, the back and forth. Uh, was all, always, um, of course, diplomatic. You cannot, you cannot say to your, to your, uh, to your uh, adversary, you know, you can't call him names, you can't uh, scream at him. You always have to be very polite. But of course, you know, um, can you chop their head off? You can't really <laughs> chop their. That's why I felt very safe there. I can yeah, tell yeah. you that. You know, I was. I felt very, very safe. But remember one thing: the definition of a diplomat is someone who tells you to go to hell in such a way that you actually look forward to it. <laughs> so that's that's what we did. You know, you have to use the diplomatic language, but you know, yeah. language is so beautiful. You can actually do that. Yeah. Now, let me give you give let me give you some highlights of what we were able to achieve. Um, I think it was 2013, uh, during the Obama era, we were able to, uh, real, we, we realized that a Mr. Al-Marayati, who is Muslim Brotherhood, 
represented the United States in an official capacity and spoke on behalf of the United States in the plenary. We were the ones who reported that mm. because nobody knows in Europe, nobody knows who Almariati was at the yeah. time. We yeah. were the yeah. ones who raised it. Um, I can also tell you that we are the ones who attacked verbally, of course, the concept of Islamophobia on many, many occasions. We explained that there is no such thing as Islamophobia. Uh, we spoke to, we actually spoke to the, to the person uh, who introduced the term Islamophobia long before it was even popular outside of the OSCE. Mm. We attacked the concept of Islamophobia. We, uh, there, there's a, there's a, a booklet uh, called A Guide to Islamophobia. We analyzed it and we, we again attacked it okay. and said, there's no such thing. Explain to us how this can be a phobia, how this, you know, that how this concept is used to silence people. It was, it was a battle I will never forget. Again, if you want to read up on this battle, I urge you to, to uh, go to Gates of Vienna. But you can also read Stephen Coughlin's uh, monumental uh, work. Um, what was it called again? I have it somewhere around here. Um, we'll, put, we'll put the link in the description. I'll put the link to Gates you. of Vienna and under Stephen as well. Much. Gates of Vienna and Steve Coughlin's uh, book, because Steve Coughlin in his book describes uh, very, very vividly the battles that we waged. One of the most important battles that we waged uh, was actually the battle against uh, hate speech. In May of 2018, at a uh, conference in Vienna, we were able to get on camera, on video, the representative of freedom of the media, I think, to say, to admit that truth can sometimes be considered hate speech. Wow. This was, this was one of the, I would say, one of the most important achievements of the Transatlantic Friendship Group working yeah. together at the OSCE because they cannot, they, it's out there. The, high, the, the personal representative of the chairman in office admitted that the truth can sometimes be considered hate speech. This is monumental. Hmm. People have not heard about that. They, not, they, they don't know, and yep. they should know. Truth can sometimes be considered hate speech. Wrap your head around that. It is incredible. And how far have we come since 2018? Truth is no longer relevant. Yep. Relevant is what you feel, what's, what appears, what seems but it's, it's, it's feelings that are relevant, but it's you know, not the hard truth. This is what we were able to get these people to admit what they have been working on behind the scenes, that the truth can sometimes be considered hate speech. What, what, what is the current situation? Because obviously an org any organization will reflect the views of its members. And as the world has collapsed in every way, Obviously, the countries there represented, they will carry those views. Um, so, yes. how how does how is it 
at the moment are those freedoms that you've talked about the freedom to speak some of these issues are they being curtailed is that disappearing yes. so Absolutely. the future is not a, is is becoming negative really yes um i can tell you that uh back in either 18 or 19 there was a um a move made by odir and it's it's uh, marxist uh, leader, uh, it's it's yeah. She was the what is I don't even remember what it was called. She was the chairman in office for you know for Odir or whatever, and there was an open move to uh, to kick us out of the OSCE, and uh, thankfully that didn't work because remember I told you one of the the great achievements of the OSCE is there needs to be agreement. Hmm among its consensus. The OSCE is consensus-based. Now, the reason why we were not kicked out was the United States. The United States delegation intervened and said, we may not like what these people have to say, but they have a right to say it. Mm -hmm. And thanks to the intervention of the United States delegation, who certainly didn't, uh, didn't appreciate what we had to say, but thanks to them, who they upheld the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, thanks to them, we're still there. We would have been kicked out. I can tell you that. We were told in private conversations, we don't want you here. You're not welcome here. So, uh, you know, remember, I started in 2009, and I was very much welcome there. And nine years later, the situation had deteriorated to such a point that there were efforts to remove us from uh, attending OSCE uh, conferences. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't like us being there. They actually, I remember now back in 2019, when we registered to attend the conference, there was a little um, uh, note at the end of the, uh, the registration process, asking you to abide by the rules and you, you needed to uh, basically watch what you say or you will yeah. be kicked out. Yeah. Now, don't think that we didn't raise it. We raised is, is exactly this, this, I consent to agreeing uh, to watch what I say. We raised that with the U.S. delegation and then it was watered down and lately and, and removed. When wow. I registered for this year, there was nothing of the sort. Wow. So it is important to be there. I have tried to rally as many organizations who are like-minded and I don't, we don't have to agree 100%, yeah. but who are like-minded to join me at the OSCE because, you know, while you think, Oh, you know, you only have maybe 90 seconds or 120 seconds to, to, to raise an issue. You can say a lot of things in 120 seconds, believe mm -hmm. me. And if you look in the, in the records and the archives, you will see me raise points you know, we've we've now spoken for 42 minutes. I can boil this. Uh, whatever I told you right now, I can boil it down to two minutes. It is possible. Yeah. Believe me, it is possible. So um, we can make a difference. I just showed you we can make a difference. Now, you asked me what it is like uh, post-pandemic. And uh, I would say um, in the middle of the Ukraine operation, the war in Ukraine, I was in, uh, I attended a 
meeting in May of this year. And I was shocked to, to realize that everything is about Ukraine. It's, it's Russia bashing. Yeah. Uh, there's no other topic, uh, despite the topic being a fairly wide one, but it was only Ukraine. Um, one pro another problem, uh, and I, I raised the issue and I was then rebuked uh, for saying it. Um, there are efforts by George Soros uh, financed groups for um, remote parliament, for remote voting. And I immediately raised my hand and I said, this is unacceptable. It may, must not happen. This is insecure. Parliament must be in session in person. It can never be uh, online. It can never yeah. be remote. It's a security issue. It's a trust issue. You will lose uh, uh, you know, faith in democracy and, and transparency. There's a lack of transparency if you do that. But you... Again, remember what I said to you in the beginning. You get a you get a glimpse of the future. This is where it's headed. This is where they're going to take it. They mm -hmm. want remote parliament, and it there's a there's a resounding no to that. And I raised it. the the uh, The Soros guy uh, explaining the beauty of remote uh, voting immediately said, "Oh, to the lady who who suggested that this is this is uh, not feasible." You know, I, I worded it differently, of course, more diplomatically. Oh, you know, no need to worry about it. And this is the future, and this is what we're going to have to do. Blah 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 blah. It needs to be stopped. Mm. It needs to be stopped. And let me also tell you, it can't be stopped by me being there alone. The, lar the larger my delegation is, the more impact we have because the more people we can get to speak out during the plenary. Numbers are important in this case. So um, another uh, very important issue is we need to stay. We are always, I always made sure that my delegation in its interventions must be respectful. It yeah. must adhere to the time limit. Uh, unlike other groups, uh, you know, from from Azerbaijan, Armenia, there's always the conflict of Armenia and Azerbaijan, which is not my conflict. But these groups, they have at it, and they they go for three minutes. They go on and on and on, and of course, then the moderator has to to shut them up. Yeah. I always tell my members of the delegation, do not cause any reason for them to get even more angry at us than they already are for us opening our mouths. Hmm. Okay. So it's always important to be on topic, to be respectful, courteous, and to adhere to the time limit. And I have been able to do that. And I'm very proud of this achievement. Uh, they want to kick us out. Well, they're kicking us. If they want to kick us out again, it's because of what we're saying. Yeah. And of course they have a problem because we still have the United States on our side. To, to, to finish off, are you one of the, I assume, you're one of the few who will champion free speech. Uh, you're probably fairly alone in that absolutist claim that you should be able to say what you like. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm alone. Although it's, it's <laughs> you know, there are these aha moments when someone uh, all of a sudden agrees with you. Because usually you're you're um, I'm I'm used to being attacked in the plenary, 
But all of a sudden, there's a there's an NGO that I might not have heard of before, and they second what I have to say, and I'm like, you know, oh my god, you know. So there are strange alliances, uh, and and of course you get to know so many other views. And again, you don't have to agree on everything, but if we can agree on the the right to free speech and not the right to free speech, but we've come a long way. Yeah. Uh, it's we're not there at the OSCE by no means, but uh, I will continue to fight for for free speech. I will to uh, at the conference that is coming up. Uh, I will raise a uh, a few issues uh i will not say exactly which in public because we might have you know people uh watching us who, yeah. who might be there um so just just know that i will be speaking out very firmly on the right to speak on the right to associate freely just think back to the pandemic how we weren't allowed to worship how we weren't allowed to meet in person Uh, that goes against the principles of uh, the uh, OSCE. It must be raised. There is no reason uh, for these uh, freedoms to be curtailed. Mm. It doesn't say anywhere in the in the charter that for health reasons uh, we can curtail your freedom. So we will address that, of course. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we will we will generally raise issues that the OSCE in its current state uh, does not appreciate. Oh, yeah. Wow. Elizabeth, thank you for coming along and sharing. It's a topic which many of us have little understanding about the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, a shadowy organization. So thank you for coming along and unpacking that a little bit and helping us understand a little bit better. You're very welcome. And um, I'm looking forward to reporting uh, the latest from from Warsaw uh, at some point later on. We will certainly do that. We'll have a, a follow-up on what exactly did happen there. And just can I make sure our viewers do know that you can get hold of Elizabeth's book, The Truth Is No Defense. It is a harrowing tale. Um, it is well worth a read to understand the, I guess, the forces at play against our freedoms to speak truth. Uh, across this continent of Europe and wider. So do make sure and get hold of that. Links will be in the description, however you're watching. If you're listening on Podbean Podcast, the links will also be there. So click on that, make use of that, along with the links uh, to the Gates of Vienna and Stephen Coughlin. Everything will be there for you to use, make use of, pass on and continue to educate yourself. So on that, I will wish you, our viewers, a wonderful rest of your day. However you're watching, however you're listening, great to have you with us. And do let us know how you find these drops an email, info at heartsofoak.org and make sure and check out those links in the description. So thank you very much for watching and thank you for Elizabeth for sharing that knowledge. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we will speak to you all soon, along with an update on the conference. So thank you so much for joining us. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.